Do you know who Ernest Shackleton is? I didn't for the vast majority of my life, so it's cool if you don't. Long story short, Shackleton is considered the most successful failure of all time. You see, in 1916, old Ernie led a crew on an expedition to trek the Antarctic landmass and map it. Unfortunately, their ship became lodged in the ice before they reached their destination. And eventually, the ship was crushed, and the crew spent two years wandering the ice before they were rescued. All of them. No one died. Shackleton kept everyone busy, engaged and driven with purpose, during one hell of an ordeal. And oh yeah, welcome back to My Dad, I'm Dad. Podcast for anyone who's ever loved and lost, anything in between. My name is Doug. I used to read survival stories when times got tough. I did it to remind myself that, say, shipwreck survivors were in definitely worse shape than me if I had to endure a multi-day vehicle fix. It wasn't until recently that I thought the more remarkable thing about the Shackleton story is not that he tried and failed four times to achieve a goal in the Antarctic, but that he could pivot like Michael Jordan if the mission turned from exploration to survival. The crew of the expedition did more than survive. They thrived. Now, I doubt if Ernest read a handbook titled How to Keep Folks Alive in Cold Barren Landscape with Little Resources at Hand and to Do So While Also Keeping Their Spirits Up. That'd be a little wordy for chicken soup for the soul, you know what I mean? Now, it stands to reason he learned on the job. And he did it so well that many of those same crew members signed up for future expeditions with Shackleton. This week, I talked with Brandon Pennington, the host of Wildlife Podcast. Wildlife is a show that exists to shed light on difficult or traumatic experiences in people's lives, with the chief goal of spreading empathy and awareness about things often whispered shamefully when they should be talked about openly. I wondered what led Brandon to want to make such a beautiful show, and whether his being a father had anything to do with it. So, take it away, other me. Brandon, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Listen, man, yours was one of the first podcasts that I really connected with when I started getting into the podcast game. And for those out there that are unfamiliar, when you're launching a podcast, one of the first kind of pieces of advice that you come across is to like, hey, post this out there on random, let's say, Facebook groups or Reddit threads and see if somebody will kind of glean onto it. And I did that. And, you know, you get some some people that are willing to engage and you get some people that are just like, that's cool, but they don't necessarily check in. And when I saw your podcast and I kind of had a feeling about what it was uh, striving to achieve before I even listened to it, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm definitely going to click into it. But when I listened to that first episode of Wildlife, I was like, whoa, this guy is doing what I'm trying to do with my show, uh, but for everyone. And to really kind of give credence to any anyone and everyone's experience. Can you talk about what led you to wildlife and why you're so passionate about making that show? And what led me to making wildlife? I it's it's a it's a super long story, but basically last November I had a surgery, which was supposed to be routine surgery 
on my ear. I had I had what's called a uh, cholesteatoma in my ear, and it was causing some hearing issues. So I wanted to get it taken care of right away. Um, have always kind of had problems with my ears. So I went in to uh, to get the surgery, and when I woke up, they were supposed to just take it out, and he was like, you're going to be able to hear 80% better than you did before. So I was like, man, this is going to be great. You know, my like quality of life is going to change. And when I woke up, I couldn't even open my eyes. I was so dizzy and I, I, they have to, they had to keep putting me back to sleep. And then I remember the doctor coming in and saying that there was nothing that they could do for that year that the cholesteatoma had completely taken over and destroyed all the inner mechanisms of that ear and that I would be deaf in my left ear for the rest of my life. And so this cholesteatoma, it's, it's kind of like a, um, and so it's a non-cancerous tumor, right? Basically, my ears don't drain like normal, normal people's ears. So this the cholesteatoma just kept building, building, building. The infection came, destroyed the inner workings of my ear. But this this mass had also been growing on my balance canal for what the doctor said seemed like 20 years. So when they took that off, it completely threw me, threw me off. Like I couldn't. I couldn't walk by myself for probably about a week and a half. I couldn't drive for a month. I was just coming to terms with the fact that I was just going to be deaf in that left ear for the rest of my life, you know, and I just, I laid in bed and I was texting people and, you know, obviously I had my wife, I, you know, I don't want to say I didn't have a great support system, but it was hard for people to understand what I was going through specifically, right? Like you could hold your hand over your left ear and be like, yeah, like you just can't hear out of it anymore. But it really was like the rewiring of my brain completely. I mean, the the biggest thing about that was like, like you would think that because I was deaf in my left ear, noise wouldn't be an issue for me. But it was actually noise and 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 loudness and and was was really what set me off. It, it really messed with my brain because I mean, you think about it, like you hear in stereo. I was hearing in mono, right? So the way things come off the wall, if somebody's talking to you downstairs, comes off the wall, you're able to locate that and say, somebody's talking to me downstairs. I wasn't able to do that if you were talking to me in the same room, right? For a while, because it was just, like I said, my brain was being rewired at that point. And that, you know, there's a lot of self pity, you know, a lot of, a lot of cry sessions on the bed alone. But I was really just like, man, I, I I wish I had somebody to to understand fully what I'm going through right now. And then, you know, just kind of sitting there and my own self-pity, I started thinking about my own life. Man, I really wish somebody, you know, understood this that happened to me or that that happened to me. I wish I had somebody when, when we hear success stories from people. You know, it's always, yeah, I had a bad childhood. My dad wasn't there or, you know, my mom was this, uh, but, you know, but I'm CEO of this company now. And that's not an obtainable goal for most of us. Right. And and I don't think it should be. So so really, I was like, I, I want to talk to somebody who has been through that and share the you know stories of people who have been through something and maybe aren't the CEO, maybe they're the janitor you know, and, and they're just getting by and that's okay. Like they have moved on from this event that they, they have found the light at the end of the tunnel. And I, to me, that's way more inspiring than, yeah, I'm, you know, an astronaut now or whatever that might be. So. Oh, wow. That's just, 
you know, I've been talking to Brandon now for a couple of weeks and we're just constantly exchanging text messages, but this is one of the first times I've been able to talk to you on a very long form format and hearing that it just like, it feels so akin to what I'm trying to do. Like, can I talk to somebody because that's, that's the best medicine for me. Can I talk to somebody who knows that, that life may change irrevocably in the blink of an eye? but that there's always a way to move forward. It's not pretty. It's it's not ideal. It's not a Disney magical kind of like a beautiful experience, but there there may be a way for us to just all work through it together. And I completely agree. Like what you said there, the, the tale of the janitor is, is a lot of times more fascinating to me than the buttoned up. Sure. You know, and, you know, it's not to take take away from, you know, anybody anybody's story right i'm not saying that like you know i don't want i don't want the ceo's you know story i I just think it's more relatable if it's it's everyday people that's kind of you know as lame as it sounds you know the tagline for the show like everybody you meet has a story like whether that's the person you sit next to every day in a cubicle or the barista that you get your coffee from every day or the the lady that is at the gas station you know, I just think having a a greater empathy towards your fellow man, you know, and just kind of saying, you know, I mean, this, I mean, every story that I've shared so far in the podcast could be your next door neighbor. Maybe next time smile at him, you know, maybe next time cut him some slack if you forgot to do something, you know, it's I, I think that's what we need more of in the world. I couldn't agree more. And I just I thank you so much for what you do. And the the light that you've shed on so many of the different stories that I've heard, it's just every single episode, I can see a version of myself there, or I can see somebody else who I've just observed passing by. I reflect on maybe sometimes where I wasn't the best person. It, it, it's not that it's a negative experience for me. On the contrary, it, it inspires me every single day to try to be just a decent human being when I'm out and about in the world. Not that I do that a lot these days because I'm, you know, home with Max a lot, but <laughs> definitely try to understand that the vast majority of human beings out there are just trying to exist in the world and survive and thrive as best that they can. And your show really sheds a light on that. And I just thank you so much for what you do. Definitely, man. I mean, it's 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 an honor to do to do this. To It's an honor every time I release an episode. I mean. I tell all my guests, like, this is your story. You know, I, I am but the, but a vessel to release this to to potentially help somebody, you know, and that that's kind of what I really wanted to do with this is is, is to help people as much as I could. And, and kind of going back on your comments earlier, when I when I started doing this, you know, when you make like a season of a show like this, it, it it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of grind. It's a lot of interviewing people. And when I first started doing this, I was probably two weeks straight of, I would work full time. I would come home at night, Tuesday to Thursday, and I would just interview people until 10 o'clock at night. And my wife was like, I would get off these calls and she would be like, you know, like, you know, I really want to make sure you're taking care of yourself, you know, mentally, like, you know, because a lot of what we talk about in the show is, you know, death. I mean, it, you know, it's it's, you know, this terrible thing that's happened. It's it's a lot of depressing things. And for me, it was it was therapeutic talking to these people because they understood what trauma was like 
And your trauma doesn't have to match up exactly to somebody else. Going to, you know, our, our my first episode, you know, Samantha, you know, her her grandpa was killed by her dad. That that has not happened to me, you know, thankfully. But the lessons that she's learned to get over things and and to heal, it it transcends the event. You know, it 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 does not matter you know, what, what they've been through, you can take something and you can learn something from it and apply it to your own situation. Absolutely. And I think that dovetails nicely into one of the topics I really wanted to discuss with you tonight, because my show, I think the reason you and I first uh, kicked it off, not, uh, none the least of which is the fact that we're both, you know, Great Lakes proud, you're Chicago, I'm Grand Rapids. You know, beside that was the fact that we both could understand that we were doing all this stuff and we're trying to talk about these important things. And we're also trying to bring a levity to the situation and bring hope to people while also actively being parents. Sure. Uh, which is if you've never been a parent or if you have been a parent, you understand exactly what I'm talking about, or this might need some broader context, but you can be physically and emotionally exhausted and still understand I have to be there for my kids. So even though you're fascinated by these topics, even though you want to tell this broader story to the world, you will still understand there's probably a book I got to read a little bit later on, or I got to go to the park a little bit later on. And I, I have to reserve a little bit up there in the bank. So these broader topics, uh, can sometimes, you know, pull us away from away from that and then you see your kids smile and you're like oh man i also have this other amazing thing and we hope that they never have to endure any of the stuff that we've gone through but we know that some of those things the bumps the bruises the the knee scrapes are inevitable right sure absolutely and one of the things i was super fascinated to talk to you about was the fact that you said your eldest is now in first grade and your youngest is now in preschool. That That is true. <laughs> yes. And I am still at a place with Maxine. She's currently, at the time of recording this episode, 16 months old. All I'm concerned about every single day is making sure she eats enough, making sure I keep her clean, making sure we engage with the world enough, making sure that she understands that every single moment of every single day could be magical because it's only such a short period of time where she's here with me and I'm doing this and I am facilitating all of that. So when you send them off to school, what what does that feel like? Because that's going to be at the blink of an eye for me. What does it feel like when you took your oldest to preschool? What does it feel like when you're now taking your taking him to first grade? What does it feel like bringing your youngest to preschool? What did you have like a sense of relief? Like, ah, they're out of my hair for a little while. Or was it bittersweet? It was, it was super, it's very bittersweet. I mean, I think, you know, I I had some memories like pre kindergarten and stuff like that, but you know, really like what I really start to remember is, you know, kindergarten, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade. And that's when I'm like, oh man, like my kids, like they're, they are these beings, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you know, like when they're two, you're like, oh, we're going to go do this. Maybe you're not, not going to remember this at all. But now it's like, no, they're, they're conscious. Like they are going to remember all of this. It was weird to me to, cause I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm still mentally pretty close to first grade. Right. I'm like, I know, I remember what happened in there. And then now like having like my son come home and say, you know, Hey, we made Play-Doh today in science class. You know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really bizarre. And it's like, they're starting to become their own people. 
now. You know, not not that they weren't before, but when you be, before school, you kind of control everything, and you're like, I mean, and it's nice. You know, it's something that like I don't think a lot of people appreciate until it's gone. But you know, before your kids are in school, you are their best friend. You are their teacher. You are ev everything to them. And now that my kids are out of that, they're in school, they have a life outside of me now. And it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a really weird thing to try to juggle with. No, I get it. I get it. I was just actually thinking like, man, because one of the reasons I, I've designed the second season of this show to include conversations with people like you is because I can't ask my dad about these things. I can't ask my dad like, Hey man, do you remember what it was like to be in first grade? And I'm sure he did. Sure. He never shared it with me because by the time I can cognitively remember, I was already growing up, uh, you know, but I still, to this day, I still envision a world in which he could be holding her hand as he's just like walking her along in the park or, or something along those lines. And that Plato example you hit me with, I can see that like it was yesterday. Yeah. I can see the chair that like hit me in the, in the one side of the head. And then I smacked my head on something else. And I had to get my first set of stitches. Like I see it all so vividly. And it it's weird. Cause like you see it. And then, and then one day, one day Maxine will be in preschool and you'll go in to meet with her teacher and you'll go sit on the little chairs that you used to sit on and be in a place that you're like, this is, this is familiar. This is, it's weird. It's like, you're, you know, like par parenthood to me has always been really cool because you get to relive your childhood, right? Like when you're 22 at a restaurant, it's not that funny that you blow milk and that you blow bubbles into chocolate milk, right? But when you have a two-year-old there with you and it's your two-year-old and you blow bubbles into chocolate milk and they blow bubbles into chocolate milk and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing, right? This is so funny. You know, like it it brings like an additional spark into your life as well. Uh, uh, you just hit the nail on the head, man. We literally just had Max at a, at a grocery store the other day and she's like playing peekaboo. And if I play peekaboo with the random woman behind the deli counter, it's weird. If she plays peekaboo with the woman behind the deli counter and I play peekaboo with her too, it's adorable. And that's the reason I'm not allowed at our local grocery store, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, you're doing this too much. So, so that's, you know, like, I'm so glad I'm talking to you because these, these are the things that are like, these are milestones that I'm about to hit and it's going to hit me on the top of the head. And I just like, I can get so mired in these tiny little frustrations like, well, did she eat well enough? Was she walking on the table? Uh, did the dog knock her down? Did I do this quick enough? Did I give her enough time to run while she was outside? When she's out of my control, or not necessarily out of my control, but out of my direct sphere, am I going to miss it? And I, I bet I am. And I bet I'm going to feel like, I wish I was there, but I'm glad she has external influences and I'm glad she's learning from other folks. Is that what you feel? I do. And I, I, I think I push myself to, to be involved with the school as much as possible. Like, you know, like this year, uh, we're already like volunteering for different fun activities that they're having, like during the day. And I, I want to be a part of that, but I also understand that they have to have their their own path. They have to kind of forge it themselves, but you know, I always kind of want to be a part of it. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, 
if I could pause my children at being two years old for the rest of their life, where I am their best friend and I am their teacher and, and you know, everything, like I, 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 I think I would have done it because at this point it's, it's not that you become less important. It's just, there's responsibility, responsibilities that get divided up and their attention gets divided up along with that as well. So, well, that actually, that goes hand in hand with the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. So we had previously discussed that your kids are both in soccer, right? They are. Yep. And you coach that soccer. Uh, begrudgingly. At least for yes. your oldest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so one of my episodes in season one deals with the fact that my dad was always there coaching and my mom was always there too. And it didn't matter what sport it was. It was basketball, baseball. Um, it's not that they coached all of these things, but they were always there in the background. And even with football, my dad with, you know, imagine my voice, but with more gravitas, he was announcing the football games and he did this stuff and he was just always there. And it was on the weekends and it was during his absolute favorite time, which was a Saturday where he could be out fishing otherwise. But I never, ever felt from him like he didn't want to be there with me. And I don't want to rehash too much of what I talked about in, in that episode. Uh, but what does that feel like when you're, when you're there and you're so involved, does it feel like you're stressed and then you get there and you see the big smiles on their faces and it all goes away? Or when you're taking them there, is it just like something that naturally kind of formulates into your schedule? Or do you find yourself being like, oh man, I wish I could do something else. And then you get that click and you're like, ah, oh, no, never mind. This is worth it. I don't think I would want to be anywhere else at all. I, I, you know, they, they've been in soccer. This is their second season now. I didn't coach the first season, but we got an email from the head of the park district. They were short on coaches. You know, for me, it's, it's not, you know, I said begrudgingly, but it's, it's not because I'd rather be doing something else. I, I did not grow up playing um organized sports whatsoever i have never played a lick of soccer in my life um so it's always I'm glad like, you're coaching yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it to me it was i, I mean it, it's, it goes along with everything i've kind of done in my life like i have no idea how to do it and i just look it up and research it as much as i can but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily fall within my schedule, you know, full, full-time job. I get the kids, I have other projects and, you know, this and that I'm working on, but, you know, I, I want to be there. And I, you know, I, I kind of saw this, my son's six, right? So I'm coaching six-year-old soccer and I saw this as an opportunity because I haven't played organized sports because I, you know, we have our first game on Saturday and I'm trying to, even before we got on this phone call to look up the rules of soccer, to, to kind of ingrain them in my mind. But I saw this as, as really like, hey, that's, this is probably going to be the last time I'm going to be able to do something like this. You know, I was never like athletically gifted. I, I didn't play organized sports at any point in my life, really. So being handed this opportunity, I was like, okay, like, you know, and the coach, uh, the head of the park district was really big on like no prior experience needed or anything like that. So I was like, you know what, this might be the last time I'm able to do this with, with my older son. Like, I, I really want to take advantage of that. And I, I remember signing up for it, them telling me, okay, you're going to be the coach this year. I sent out 
hey everyone email that was on the team and um we were leaving a store one day and my son was in the back seat and he's like dad you know what i'm really excited for and i was like what he's like for you to be my coach i'm so excited and i was like man like that just like that made it worth it for me like all this extra time i've been putting into figuring out you just what, walked out of there feeling like tony stark yeah like, yeah i am your iron man yeah exactly you know like you know yeah maybe i don't know how to do everything but i'm looking it up i'm figuring it out you know and you know maybe it, it i mean it's an extra three or four hours a week you know to go on and, and try to find fun drills and games and things like that to keep the kids engaged and um stuff like that makes it worth it though like when when we're out there playing and I just saw he's having a good time. And, you know, I, I, I know that this is going to be something that we're going to talk about for the rest of his life, like for the rest of my life, you know, it's, it's going to be dad. You remember when you coached soccer when I was six, remember when I scored that goal, when you were our coach, remember when I did this, when I, you know, you, you were our coach, remember when you, you know, so it's, it's just that memory that I, you know, I just, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I just want to be there. You know, I don't, I don't have to be, you know, I think kids, you know, a lot of times they, they lose perspective that, you know, it's, it's two people that lost their dad, you know, were unfortunately granted with, but you know, they lose perspective of what's important, but I, I think they'll, they'll appreciate this at some point in no, their life. I, uh... I, I want to give you all the credit in the world right now, because your motivation that you're talking about there. And the way you're talking about handling that responsibility and that experience is all the purest sort of motivation and the purest way that I can imagine engaging with a child that is six years old that I've ever heard uh, outside of my own personal experience. I don't know if my dad had experience coaching soccer. I don't know if my dad ever played soccer. I don't care. Yeah, I know he was there. And I know he was cheering me on from the sidelines. I don't even know if he had a good command of the rules. He just kind of had like a big, broad voice and he could be like, no, nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But maybe, I don't know, I, you know, something along those lines, but you're absolutely correct. Your, your son will look upon those times and, and it, and it might just waver, you know, it might come and go, but I can tell you from my own personal experience that it mattered more than anything else we ever bought together uh more than many of the places we went together it just like it it sings in my soul as one of those things where it was like my dad was there yep absolutely i i will add this too uh my nephew's on the team as well so that was like a big thing for me to like be that like like figure to like both of them you know this was really that understanding that you know when they're 25 we can have a beer and laugh about how bad i was at coaching <laughs> but i wanted to be there well yeah that's that's a great thing because at that point that laugh is going to be contextualized by like hey you didn't know what you were doing but you exactly showed up. so every single movie in the 90s <laughs> made about sports and especially about kids sports follows that precise archetype <laughs> Oh. You got Rick Moranis and Little Giants. You got the Big Green. You got a whole bunch of people who had no idea what they're doing, and they show up, and uh, lo and behold, you know they take down. Uh, you the know big what, guys. man? I I, I felt like I'd seen it before. I was like, I have this feeling, but where is it coming from? 
and that's it so <laughs> well like that's that's where like my weird thing is i always just kind of bring it back to those things that i remember from when i was a kid and that's just a like it's a testament to how well i remember those times because i felt like i was that kid in the big green or i was the kid in the little giants and that my dad who may or may not know what he was doing was was there yep. cheering and that's all that really mattered and uh i guess you know if you're if you're looking for a name of a trick play the annexation of puerto rico from the little giants is a pretty oh, good man, one there we go <laughs> I, I will have to look that one up i i i don't know if my dad knew what he was doing you know I, it doesn't apply to just soccer right like I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And I think becoming a parent makes you appreciate your parents more, right? Because you realize, oh, they were just human. They probably didn't understand what was happening. They didn't know what they were doing. I, I don't know. I didn't know how to make a Halloween costume before my kids were born. You know what I mean? I didn't know how to do, you know, uh, you know, uh, create a projector in the living room until my kids were born. It's, it's all that, like, you know, you don't have to know how to do something perfectly in order to just, just show up and just, and try your hardest. And I, you know, I think that's something that now looking back on my dad or, you know, my mom. And, and I think as a kid, you take that for granted or you don't fully understand it. Right. You're like, Oh, they should just know what to do. It's like, no, they, they, they really didn't, you know? And, um, and that's okay. Yeah, I uh, I literally this past week because I I always find myself in like the the weird five minutes where like, you know, Maxine's sixteen months old, and occasionally she will just be like playing by herself, and it's great. You know, I'll be, I'll like sit on the other side of the half wall and just kind of like peek my head over there every now and again and just look, and she'll like grab her, uh, stuffed, whatever you know, stuffed Sonic or whatever, and and just be playing with it and like you know babbling at it. And in those moments, I kind of just like peel myself back to where I was when I was that age uh, or, or a little bit advanced, you know, maybe around your eldest son's age, maybe six. And I truly believe our parents were wizards. They were they were magicians because they could turn what to them is an average Friday. I went to work today. I, I have responsibilities today. I got to do this. And the combined effort of years of experience and knowledge led them to be like, I'm going to crack open this plastic box that contains a plastic thing that has this weird tape on it. After I give you, uh, you know, a disc of food, a pizza. Yep. And for us kids, that was the most wonderful, magical, ethereal experience possible. Yep. And it was because our parents decided, Hey, let's not let them know that we've had a week. Let's let them understand that this is their special magical time where they can formulate a bond with one another, or they can formulate a bond with this thing. And for, for at least the time that they're a child, they can feel like real magic exists in the world. Not knowing that in 20, 30 years, if they decided to be parents, that that magic would be passed on to Absolutely. them. Maybe we are as parents wizards in a way. I mean, my, my kids are obsessed with Harry Potter and, um, oh, oh yeah, yeah, they? yeah, absolutely. And, um, I do magic tricks and they're all, you know, if, I mean, if you're an adult, they're stupid magic tricks, but you know, it just, just things that like completely blow their mind or they'll say, how did you do that so quick, dad? 
oh, this is my magic. I tell them that all the time. I mean, my, my youngest son, Bo, before he goes to sleep, he's like, dad, you know, I'm, I'm scared. And I was like, you know, I'm, I tell him all the time, well, dad, dad put a protection spell around the house. So like, you don't have to worry about anybody getting in. Right. Like, and so it's cool that you, that you kind of phrase it like that. Cause that's, it's kind of, you know, I, 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 I think my kids really think I have magic because of the way I kind Ooh. of do different things. 100%. You know? So my dad always, he, he watched movies with us a lot, which is why, you know, I'm most often, if I guest on another podcast, it's a movie yeah. podcast. Cause I could just talk about it all day. We'd watch star Wars and he would be like, I'm a Jedi. And I know some of the tricks, but I just haven't done it in a long time. And he would take a, just a standard balloon out of the closet and he would blow it up and he'd put it in his hand. And what he'd do is he'd vibrate his hand so fast that the balloon would jump from his fingers. But to us, it looked like it was levitating. And we thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. Or he could tell us a story about a friend of his that had a tattoo of a mermaid and he could make the mermaid dance. And like, we didn't understand. It was just this guy flexing his muscles, but like that mermaid was dancing (laughs) in our minds. And it's, it's these types of things where like my mom actually read us the stories. My mom is just a saint. You know, she'd rub Vicks Vapo Rub on her chest every night and she'd read me books. And that's part of the reason I'm obsessed with stories and why I have a uh, a bone for empathy in my body yeah. in the first place. But dad, he, he didn't do that. What he could do, though, was speak in a voice very much like mine and, and be like, no, there's this. It's over there. And you're like, oh, he said it. So it's got to be true. <laughs> yep. And it it made the world broader. It made the world bigger. It made the world makes sense in that none of it had to make sense and i appreciate that to this day having a kid allows you to relive your childhood but also having a kid allows you to kind of experience magic again you know what i mean experience these like things that you kind of put to the side as as you become an adult right like you think about that more we have this like uh trick where you know i always like pull the my kids love quarter machines like at the at the grocery store where i play pickaboo they they love the quarter machines so every time we go in there i try to have quarters on me you know to pull out of their ears and then they're able to get a uh you know something out of the quarter machine and then the times where maybe i only have one quarter so I don't, you know, I'm not going to just give one kid a quarter and not the other kid or, you know, get, cash is a, is a dying thing. So it's like, you know, sometimes I don't have the quarters right. and as we're walking in, you know, they're like, oh, can we do the quarter thing? I'm like, no, we don't have quarters. And they're like, well, well, check my ears. I probably have quarters in my ears. Check my ears, dad. Check my ears. <laughs> check my ears. You know, and it's, it's just, I don't know. Uh, like I said, just, just being a dad and having kids, it just kind of allows you to experience that magic a little bit. Now, in all the conversation that we've been having this entire time, all I've been able to really focus on or all I've really focused on is the fact that you're you're dedicated. You're there. You you're able to like manage whatever frustrations may be existing around being a parent while just understanding like this is what it takes to be a parent because that's what I try to focus on all that time is that magic. Like there's only such a finite amount of time when you're a kid where you get to believe that magic is real and then you do it again when you're an adult, um, you know, if, if you have a kid or if you don't, just so long as you have that mind sure. for it. But your eldest son, 
has a condition known as uh, muscle hypotonia. Correct? That is correct. Yep. And you seem like the type of person who's not letting any of that get in the way of his life. Can you talk at all about the way that you go about accommodating that and trying to facilitate the rest of his life so that he doesn't ever feel like that's a, you know, a hindrance to him? So it, it took us a little while to get a diagnosis. And even the fact that we have a muscle hypotonia diagnosis is, it, this is like the cruelest joke of all. It's actually not a diagnosis. So muscle hypotonia is, is saying somebody has muscle hypotonia is like saying somebody has a runny nose, right? Well, there, there's an underlying cause to that. He has the flu or he has the cold, right? So we haven't gotten our full diagnosis yet, but muscle high, uh, but, but he has been diagnosed with muscle hypotonia. So that's kind of something we're still, even at age six, still trying to go through the motions of figuring out like we have. And, and now we've kind of exhausted a lot of options to where now we're going to see like special specialists um, that take a year because they have a wait list to get in. But I mean, we we start we started noticing it uh, when he was about six months old. I mean, he he couldn't sit up by himself, you know, cognitively he was there. And then we took him in for a checkup. Uh, we had moved into a new house, so we got a new doctor or a pediatrician. Rather, she was immediately concerned. She was like, "He is, he's, his muscles are not working. He's not sitting up. He's not doing this. He's not doing that." And we, she said, uh, "You know, we we recommend you go to physical therapy right away." So at like seven months until today, really, he's been in physical therapy two to three times a week, and because we didn't have a diagnosis. We didn't know what was going on. So we never really made an excuse to say, well, he has this thing. I guess we'll let him develop at his own pace. I mean, when <clears throat> when he he didn't walk until he was two independently. But during that time from, you know, there, you know, a child typically starts walking between nine months and, and a year and a half old. So as soon as we got to that particular time, like I I built him like a pvc walker where you know he would put both his hands on either side of the pvc and then he would just kind of come towards me with you know a treat of you know a, a fruit snack or, or whatever whatever that might be and we just we just kept pushing him we kept saying like we know you can do this like there's no excuse you know like uh, you know there, there's something going on we don't know what it is but that doesn't mean we're going to slow down I built him a little marionette walker, which was like a plank of wood that we would carry in our hand. And he had two strings coming down on either side with like um, like a loop he could grab onto. And he would just hold up on that. And then he would, you know, we would hold him on that and walk with him. You know, anything to kind of strengthen the legs, strengthen the muscles. That's kind of what we were just really like intent on. High protein because we knew that he was having... He was having these muscle issues and that's kind of what was suggested to us. We actually didn't get the diagnosis of muscle hypotonia until he was uh, three years old. And, and it's kind of weird how it happened. We, you know, we didn't get any sort of diagnosis beforehand and our pediatrician was kind of at a loss and he was like, you know, like we had, we had gone at this point, we had, we had done two MRIs 
with a pediatric neurologist. Everything came back normal. She didn't say anything else to us. So we went back to the pediatrician. He said, maybe it's orthopedic. I'm going to send you down to Chicago. You're going to go to Lori's children in Chicago and, you know, go to the best orthopedic doctor that there is. So, you know, we took him down there. I remember, you know, obviously you brought my son, my son with, and my wife was there and uh, I was filling out the paperwork and it was all three different sections. It was, you know, um, skeletal muscle and then uh, neurological, right? And um, you had to check off the symptoms that that person had. And I kept checking off the neurological, right? I was like, oh man, this is, he has this, has this, has this, has this. And I was like, before we even went into the appointment after filling out that paperwork, I was like, I don't think this is orthopedic at all. And so we went in to see the orthopedic uh, doctor and five minutes in, he was like, this is not orthopedic at all. This is, this is neurological. There, there has to be something. And we were like, well, we saw the neurologist two times already. Like what is going on? And um, he was like, I would just recommend you go see the neurologist again. So we left there just feeling completely defeated at this point. Like we have tried everything. So on the way back home, I called the neurologist's office and I was like, Hey, we like to set up an, another appointment for my son, Baron. The receptionist said, is this, is this for his muscle hypotonia? And that's the first time I ever heard that word. And I was like, his what? And she said his muscle hypotonia. And I was like, I, I, I've never heard of that before. And it was something that like the neurologist, I guess, forgot to tell us. I, I don't really know a better way to say it, but she had not given us that diagnosis. She had not told us that whatsoever, but it was in his file, which, you know, I, I think is, you know, sort of a blessing in a way, because at that point he was walking independently. He was doing those things. And I, I think having, you know, I, I maybe I wouldn't have, but. You know, sometimes I think if I had a diagnosis or I had an excuse, would I have pushed him this hard? And that's sort of been the catalyst for me continuing to push him, continuing to be like, you you weren't supposed to walk. Like now, like you're walking, you're doing all of these in, things independently. Like we are going to push you. Like we're going to push you hard, still love you, still be loving, obviously, but there's going to be no excuse why you can't go up the stairs by yourself. There's going to be no excuse why you can't walk when we're at the store. There's going to be no excuse for this or, you know, and that that's kind of having that realization of being like, would we have pushed you this hard? Had we had known about this kind of made me think, and it, you know, even having the diagnosis at that point, I was like, I'm going to continue pushing him as hard as I can for his own good. Well, it sounds to me like you two are wizards. <laughs> you two as a husband and wife team, it sounds to me like you're just, obviously when you're having a kid, you always think, man, what if there is an issue? Yep. What if there's something that we're going to have to, you know, specially consider? What if there's something where we're going to have to try to tap into a whole different version of parenting than what we were you know, possibly expecting? It's just so inspirational to me to hear that and, and the way that you're providing for him the best life possible. He's in soccer. Yep. And, and the soccer game that I see in my mind is very much like in the movie, the Santa Claus, where there's just kids kicking a ball around and, you know, maybe one of them gets yeah. it in the net. Great. Uh, but it's just extremely inspirational. It seems to me that your particular mindset of understanding that these difficulties 
that may arise, these these things that are, I, I don't even mean to say may, they will. Wild things will happen. And whether or not you can purposefully move forward is indicative of who you are and what type of spirit you possess. And it sounds to me like you're instilling that in not only your one son, but both of your boys. And I, uh, I applaud you, you, sir. I, I, I try to live by the mantra. It's not as much about what comes our way as it is how we react. Right. Yeah. So. I, funny enough, I needed to hear that. Will you be my dad? <laughs> anytime, Doug, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I really, Brandon, I thank you so much for all your time and, and just this wonderful conversation about parenthood. You know, I, a lot of this this second season is is about teaching me to be a parent as much as it is about hearing other stories about my dad. And it just feels like you're the type of dad that my dad would have clapped on the shoulder and been like, good job, son. And he would have walked off and you would have seen in his eyes and felt in his voice and noticed from the warmth and the way that his hand grabbed you that it meant you're doing the absolute best you can by your family. And if I'm allowed to speak on his behalf, which I have a voice very similar to his, so let me. Fantastic work in all aspects, being a parent and making that podcast. Can you tell people where to find your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And th- thank you for the uh, highest of compliments. So um, you can find us at wild period life period podcast on instagram and facebook you can reach out to us directly if you have a story that you'd like to share at wildlifepod1 at gmail.com well thank you so much and uh brandon you have you a do the same night. doug thank you so much now it's important to note that shackleton didn't go out into the world and tout his ability to be a leader instead he cared desperately for the people around him and allowed that care to guide his actions. Brandon cares desperately for his family, and for anyone with a story to tell, and I mean anyone. In fact, the moment we stopped recording, he asked if he could come on again sometime in the future to talk more about his younger son, Bo. So Bo, if you're older someday and listening to this, know that your dad loves you very, very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Dad, I'm Dad. New episodes come out weekly on Mondays during the season cycle. If you like what you heard, you can follow along with us over on social media. We have a Facebook and Instagram at MDIDpod. You can also send us an email if you have anything you'd like to say, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, mdidpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you as always to Andy Bird for the use of the music in this show. And here's some Wally wisdom to close out the week. If it was apparent that you were trying something and really feeling a groove and giving it your damnedest, Dad would always hit you with this. Now you're styling, baby. Huh? I bet you are. We'll see you next time, folks.